when you have something so traumatic happen like a death and you're grieving you just get clarity about what's important and that's one of I, I suppose the silver linings of grief guys welcome back you're listening to another episode of let it out i'm your host katie delbout been doing this for a million years and today i have a very long episode for you so i'm gonna get in get out tell you what i need to tell you in this intro so you can hear from my friend Lindsay for a while we had a great conversation about a month ago it was still hot out in her beautiful apartment in Brooklyn. At one point, I just was looking around. She had strawberries and chocolate out for us. And I stopped the conversation and just said, I I would really like to live here with you and your husband. And I really meant it. It was that cozy. But we don't have time for stories like this because we have a conversation packed full of interesting topics, like the fact that she once had a lingerie blog. Fascinating. She's so cool. We talk about wellness and how she got into wellness. We talk about relationships quite a lot. And I was really going through it with a relationship thing on the day that we met. And she gave me such potent relationship advice and information without even really meaning to. We talk about how she met her husband and marriage a little bit. She met her husband at a really young age. They seem to have a really beautiful relationship. We talk about the loss of a parent at a young age. We talk about jobs and money very candidly and vulnerably, leaving a full-time job, her trajectory working in journalism and having a career in digital media. She most recently has been the deputy editor at MindBodyGreen, and we talk a little bit about this in this episode, but she recently left that position and now still works for them as a freelancer. And her book just came out, which is called Spirit Almanac. Just trust me. We don't have time to get into it in this intro. It is so wonderful. I could gush about it for a full seven minutes, more than that, I'm sure. But we don't have time because this episode is so long. Just get yourself a copy. Trust me. We also talk about her eating disorder in this episode, specifically her bulimia. So if that's something that's triggering to you, just be aware and be warned. It's just a really interesting episode. We talk about freedom and getting older and time and our relationship to time and divine timing. And it's a pretty magical episode. I think you'll really enjoy it. Let's get to it. And also... Yeah, just remember to get her book. Maybe we could even move through it together. It's called Spirit Almanac. And speaking of doing things together, quick housekeeping notes. First of all, let's get together. Let's hang out. Kerpalu in December for New Year's. Why not? I'm going to be there. My boyfriend Nick is going to be there. A bunch of my friends are going to be there. 
I would like all of my friends to be there, all of you guys listening. Preferably, I would like you to come. The link to that is in the show notes. Also, if you're in New York City, I'm going to be doing something on December 2nd. More information coming. It's at the spring, my friend's meditation studio in Soho. Link in the show notes. And last but not least, if you want to start a podcast, I made something that I'm really, really, really proud of. And this is the last week to sign up for Let a Podcast Out. If you have an idea, I'm here to help you. I really, really would love if you checked it out. You can get the first two modules completely for free. So just just try those first two modules and see if it helps you start your podcast. And then email me with questions. My email is katie at katiedalebot.com. Email me any podcast questions that you have, literally anything. I just honestly want as many people who have ideas to start a podcast to be able to start a podcast because I know I can feel really stuck by technology and just the overwhelm of all of it. Enjoy this episode with Lindsay. Stick around till the very end because I'm doing that segment I told you guys about a few episodes back called Likes and Learns, where I'm going to jump in at the end and tell you something that I learned this week and something that I liked this week after the episode. And I think it'll just be a fun way to connect. I forgot last week on the Catherine Budig and Kate Bagan episode. So whoops, but I'm going to do it this week. If you guys have a better name for this segment, let me know, like let it out LNL or I don't know, LNL. I kind of like that. That LNL, if you're from the same town as I am in East Lansing, Michigan, there was a grocery store called LNL, which I think is no longer. Anyway, we don't have time for this. It's a long episode. Let's get to it. This episode is supported by Four Sigmatic. I love this company so much. I've been using their products for years. They make these high quality mushroom elixirs and I use all their products, but I recently gave their mushroom coffee, their instant coffee with cordyceps to my boyfriend. He loved it. I'm not a coffee drinker though, so I really like their chai. Their mushroom chai is my favorite. I bring it with me on the go. I mix that little bad boy into some almond milk or oat milk or whatever I can find. I just have them steam it and I add in my chai often. It's great. I make them at home as well. I love adding it to my yogurt. Amanda, my producer, my friend, she adds it to her oatmeal every morning. We love it. And I think you'll really love them as well. If you haven't already checked them out, do so. You can add them to your smoothies. You can get really creative with how you use their products. They also have a matcha product. They're constantly coming out with new things. I've even had the founder, Tarot, on the podcast. So if you want to get 15% off your order, just head over to foursigmatic.com slash Katie and use the code Katie at checkout. That's 15% off using the code Katie, K-A-T-I-E at checkout. Oh, and they have a mushroom academy that's completely free and will teach you everything you need to know about the benefits of superfood mushrooms. This company, Altera Pure, really has changed my life. I got to keep this quick, but man, I love their sheets so much. They are a textile system designed to change the way you think about organic bedding. They focus on the cool, crisp aspects of these sheets that, let me tell you guys, I love them so much. I can't even believe I have these wonderful, nice sheets. I highly suggest you guys 
gift yourself these sheets. They are a 310 thread count sheet made from 100% verified organic cotton. I talked to the founder about the fact that they are farm to fabric in their business model and they assure environmental and social sustainability through their deliberate design, their organic verification, fair trade partnerships from farm co-ops. I, I honestly love their products so much and the fact that they're this pure in everything they do is so wonderful. Each purchase directly benefits the farmers that grew the cotton for the sheets. Their packaging is beautiful. It's created from upcycled scrap cotton and recycled paper. And I love their pillowcases. Everything is oversized and it it just fits your bed so well. I feel like I'm in a luxurious hotel. I'm honestly, I gotta go right now because I'm excited to go to sleep each night. Use the code LETITOUT for 15% off your entire order. That's let it out for 15% off your entire order. Honestly, you guys, this would make a great gift or a gift for yourself. I am so happy that I have these sheets. They've really improved my life so much. So let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? What were you like as a kid? Yeah, so I... I was born in Boston, Massachusetts, and we kind of bopped around. So we lived in Connecticut for a little while, and then I grew up on the Jersey Shore until I was 12, and then we moved back to Connecticut. So I'm definitely an East Coast girl through and through. What did your parents do, and what, why were you moving? So they both worked at hospitals. Okay. My mom was always an x-ray tech, and my dad... Um, used to be a perfusionist, which means that you run the heart-lung machine during open-heart surgery. Wow. I know. It's intense. Wow. That is intense. So then what were you, what was high school like for you? How does, how did that inform how you are now? Yeah. So high school was a trip. High school was when I had my eating disorder. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it started off as anorexia. And I think that that really, that happened in my sophomore and junior year. I was always really driven. I was always really school oriented, loved reading books. I think that like, I was such a teacher's pet. Like mm-hmm. I just like loved doing everything right. Me too. Yeah. Especially the ones I liked. If I liked the teacher, I like wanted them to love me. <laughs> yes. Yes. I remember my AP biology teacher, her name was Mrs. Heckman. And she was just the best. And I love that class so much. And I don't do anything related to science now, but it was just one of those times. But yeah, high school was hard. And I think, you know, I think that informs how I am today because it really started my wellness journey. I became obsessed with food at that mm-hmm. time in my life, yeah. which I'm sure you can relate As you to. Do. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you're like a physical response to your body. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think that it kind of evolved over time. So, in college, and this is something that I've actually talked about on my own podcast before, but in college, it it manifested as bulimia and it also manifested as binge drinking. So there's kind of that narrative thread of things that are kind of, you know, shadow sides of, of this. And I think that that's kind of where you need to go sometimes before you really start to do the soul searching and the yoga and the writing and, and all of that. So that's a really dark answer to your question. <laughs> no, this is this is letting it out. <laughs> yeah. So when you 
when that happened in in high school, let's get back into that. What was your family's response to that? How did you shift out of that and eventually make it, you know, to NYU? So my family's response is interesting. My mom just completely denied it. Still to this day, Mm. she never really acknowledges it. My dad knew something was wrong. And he would say, you know, we would be out for dinner and he would say, you need to eat something. You need to eat something. And my brother, I don't think he knew how to respond. And he's younger. So Mm. I think he was just kind of watching. And, you know, it was hard. I, I had teachers who responded and said, you know, like, you should go see the guidance counselor. You should go to therapy. And I had all of these things lined up by these teachers who, who were seeing me and who were caring. And I never went because I didn't think I had a problem. Um, so it was interesting. I started working at a hair salon when I was 15 or 16. And it was a group of women who were older than me. They were in their early 30s. And they were the ones who really kind of took me in and loved on me. Mm. And in, in some ways, they were also a, a bad influence because it was there that I had my first drink. And it was there that I kind of, I learned more about dating and guys and, and all of that. So you could say that, you know, I, I was certainly a goody two-shoes up until that point. And then I kind of started to develop this, this rebel side. But I never officially got diagnosed with anorexia. I mean, I know that I have it because right now... I probably weigh about 40 pounds less than I that I did when I had the eating disorder than I do right now. So I know that it was certainly an issue. And, and I do vividly remember one day where I looked at myself in the mirror and I didn't recognize my own body. And I said, this isn't a game anymore. It's, it's you can't be playing with your life anymore. So you really self-healed. And what was there a moment where you're like, I'm going to stop or I'm going to nourish myself or I'm like, was it a gradual thing? I wish it was. It wasn't really gradual. It was more, it was a continuation of the same energetic force, but just uh, on the other end. So I started to eat a ton of food. I started to sort of eat without abandon. And I think that, and also that's when I started to drink. And I think that there was a period of time where I looked a lot healthier, but my eating just was never it was never healthy. It, mm-hmm. It's not what it is right now. Yeah. It took a long time for me to relearn my relationship with food. And I would say, you know, now I feel a certain kind of freedom and it's how long, like I'm 31. So this has been almost 15 years removed since it all started. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like you really had to do all of that eating disorder treatment, essentially healing on your own, you didn't have the tools of a therapist or a dietitian, or you weren't in specific treatment. You were self-healing. And at the time, and you were a child, you were so young. Totally. And, and so malleable. And I think, you know, it's interesting. I often talk about this in the podcast of, and I think we talked about this when we hung out last time about when your career is kind of in a malleable place, when you also have an eating disorder, it kind of stems you to go down a path that kind of leads your path, you know, whether, you know, there's so many people who had eating disorders and then become chefs or become dietitians or become health coaches or personal trainers because that's what they were fascinated about at that Mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. So 
you eventually get to NYU and you study journalism. What was college like for you? Were things better at that point, food and body-wise? I would say half and half. So freshman year was a giant party. (laughs) There was so much drinking. And I think, you know, part of it too was I didn't really allow myself that freedom in high school because when you have an eating disorder, when you have anorexia, you don't want to be social. You don't want to hang out with people. You want to do whatever you can to control what you're eating. Yeah. And so much is, is avoiding social situations where there's food. So, you know, on the other side of the spectrum, if you're, you know, that, that energy isn't being healed, but being translated in another way and morphing into something else, for me, that turned into binge drinking. And I didn't even know it at the time, but we had, I had Fridays off, so I didn't have class on Fridays. So I would go out Thursday, I would go out Friday, I would go out Saturday, and then sometimes on Sunday too. And I would have horrible hangovers. And, you know, I, I did a fair amount of, you know, promiscuous activity during during that time. And I think that's pretty standard. A lot of, like most of what you said is just normalized for college. It's so normalized for the college. drinking, the going out Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Totally. But I look back on that. I'm like, who was that girl? Yeah. You know, like she, like I was hardcore suppressing my my real self and not respecting my body at all. Did you feel peer pressured where was everyone else around you doing that? Cause that's what it was like for me in college, which is why I, I hated my freshman year because I was, I was doing that sort of stuff too. And it was just so not me. Yeah. I mean, I felt like I had something to prove and I think that it, I didn't necessarily feel peer pressured because I feel like out of all of my friends, I probably went the hardest. So I think for me, it was more proving that like I could get good grades and like also be a badass. Yeah. And it's a really silly thing to think about now in hindsight. But, you know, I also think that part of it too was my father had cancer as as I was later in high school. I think he probably told me when I was 16 or 17 mm-hmm. and into college. And so... I think a big part of me had a YOLO mentality for real. And so I thought, you know, if I'm going to live in New York, I'm going to make the best of it. Living in New York is something that I had always wanted to do. And so for me, that just meant partying all the time at that time. Yeah. So in the beginning of college, that's what it was like. Then in in sophomore year, I met my now husband, (laughs) which is funny to say. So I had one one or two longer term boyfriends in college. One was from home. He was a total sweetheart. And one was from school. And, you know, they just didn't work out for one reason or another. I don't think either of them lasted for more than a year. And I ended up meeting Erin through a friend that I, I worked at the gym with. She introduced us in one of our classes. And, um, yeah. And it's been a journey. So I've known him for a very long time. Yeah. 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 So what changed when you guys met and how that affected the rest of your college? Yeah. So when, when we met, we were actually smoking buddies. <laughs> we smoked a lot of weed together. I don't know if that's cool to say on this podcast. It 100% is. Cool. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, we did that. And at first it was just as friends, there was a bunch of people who just 
would always gather around. I think 11 p.m. was the time that they, you know, we would go downstairs and we would all just like smoke out of the same bong. <laughs> and it was pretty funny, actually. It's a bonding. Experience. It was bonding. <laughs> and we lived in the same building, so it was easy. And, you know, I would show up and like, my frog pajamas and like no makeup and hair in a messy bun and just like literally letting it all hang out because <laughs> I had no expectation. I had no crush on him at that point. But after a while, you know, we, we did that almost every day mm. and I started to get a crush on him and he started to get a crush on me. And then after finals, we ended up going on what was our first date, which is a funny story in and of itself. But I actually often will call him my angel because he really identified that what I was doing was not normal and it was hurtful to him. Like if I would go out drinking and I would come back, I would just be a totally different person. And he was like, I don't like this person. Mm. And I thought that he was just saying, don't ever drink again, as somebody does who just sees things black and white. But, you know, at the time it, it was what I needed. Yeah. So I'm forever grateful for that. Oh, that like hit me hard. I feel like I've had many experiences really recently, like with my boyfriend saying that to me about things that I'm doing to myself that I assume don't affect him at all. And then he's like, that hurts me when you do that. And I hadn't really thought about the effects of what I'm doing on, on other people, but it's, I think that's relationships at their best when they can be a mirror to help essentially make you better, not only mm -hmm. for them, but for yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was easy for some, some of my party friends to say like, ew, who is Aaron and what does he think he's doing? For sure. Like yeah. going through that change is what needed to happen for me to become a healthier human being. But there were a lot of people who, who didn't like him for that, which was really interesting to witness as well. Yeah. And see who rises to the top. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I lost a few friends during that time and that stinks. But I also think that there are some times where, you know, if I had kept going that route, I'm, I wonder what would have happened. So you meet Aaron, you guys are together through college. You kind of grow and change together. What was the transition after college like? I know you wanted to stay in New York. Did you know what you wanted to do? What was next? So I had done a number of internships in beauty and fashion while I was in school. I was lucky enough to intern at Elle magazine. I interned at a small natural beauty company called Kaya House. And I did some work with Hearst as well. I also interned at this magazine called Page Six Magazine, which used to be a weekly publication that came out with the Page Six section of the newspaper. That was interesting. I was at the internship probably for two or three weeks and it felt so legit. We got to write stories and I had my first celebrity interview and it was very cool. Who was that? I honest to God don't remember. I have a mental picture in my mind, but it was a celebrity that I didn't know and he was in a movie that I didn't care about. So I just, yeah. But it was actually great because I didn't know him. I wasn't nervous. Totally. You know, yeah, I was like, sure. oh, okay, cool. But yeah, so that, and that, that was great experience. And then one day I remember coming in, everybody except the interns were, were in a conference room and then everybody came out and was crying and everybody had just lost their jobs mm. and the magazine was folding. And I feel like that was my first exposure to 
the kind of world that we're living in. And my first exposure to print really not being king anymore and digital really being strong. So you wanted to write? Is that what you... I wanted to write. And I, I, at that time I was involved with, I wanted to do something with fashion or beauty. So I was, I was into fashion in an academic and like a, an academic way. I would think about it and talk about it, but I did not have the kind of money to be a fashionista. Mm -hmm. So it's funny. I, you know, I went to NYU and I was surrounded by all these women who dress like, like I, I still don't even dress now, you know? And many of them were trust fund kids who just, you know, had the money to, to do that. And, you know, I was going on loans and scholarship and I just, I was wearing like what I could find at the thrift store or, you know, what I could Which find at H&M. Which was or, very cool. You have amazing style. <laughs> I mean, at the time it was bad. <laughs> it was the 2000s. It was Yeah, all, it was, it was the bad. 2000s. Yeah. So you do those internships, the one folds. Yes. So the, the magazine folds. And I think that that's sort of the first inkling in my head that says, don't work at a print magazine, work at a digital magazine. I had been working at Elle Magazine, interning there for quite some time for free before internships were made. Then there was that lawsuit, I think that- Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That happened a number of years after I graduated. Yeah. And now I, I don't think that you can intern for free. But anyways, that's what I was doing. And on the side, I had another job at a trend forecasting company where I did write. So I wrote a lot of fashion and accessories related articles for sort of a B2B trade type of business. So we would walk the trade shows. I would do a lot of writing and I got paid $10 an hour and I was stoked on that. Yeah. So I was doing that for a long time and into... So I, that sort of bridged college and outside of college. And I, I got an offer from Elle magazine to potentially do, so I think it was an accessories editor position. And the pay was just so low. I think it was $20,000 or something. And I was like, I have loans to pay. I have rent to pay. I can't take this job. And it was at the magazine. It was my, it, it would have been a dream job at the time. So instead I said, no. And I babysat all throughout college as well to to make extra money. And one of the women that I babysat for, her husband worked as a judge of some kind. So I ended up interviewing to be a paralegal at a law firm and got that job. And so that paid $40,000 a year, which like sounded great in comparison to the L. Yeah, totally. And while I did that, I also permalanced, which was basically full-time freelancing, full-time work without insurance for Hearst Digital. So I did production for them. I did some editing and writing for them. And that was right out of school. Wow. So you're living in New York. Where did you live? I lived in Brooklyn Heights. Okay. Brooklyn Heights. Yeah. So you're living in New York. You're working these jobs, trying to make it all happen. And... When do you get into wellness and spirituality? And was it during that time? It had been actually going on all of this time in sort of fits and spurts. So my very first yoga class was at, I was 13. (laughs) And it was at the rec center in the town I grew up in, in Connecticut, Guilford, Connecticut. And it was me and a bunch of super old people. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was so funny. Sometimes one of my friends, her name was Katie Wallace. She would come and do yoga with me. And, you know, she was just like down for the weirdness. And I fell in love with it. I fully fell in love with it. And that was really my first moment. Yeah. I love that. I also got into yoga very young, not as young, but I was in high school. And it's funny. It's for some of us, you just, you're like in, you're like, I am, this is bizarre and different from anything that it's, it's a different experience than growing up with like parents doing yoga, but finding it on your own when you're young, it's like, this is so different than anything that I have in my world, but Mm -hmm. I love it. I am like in. Yes. Yeah. My mom, it's so funny. I make fun of her now, but she used to make fun of me when I would go to yoga. She would say, you're so new age. Like, like, what do you even do in yoga? And now she goes two times a week. And I'm wow. like, <laughs> you know, so funny. it is. Yeah. Funny. It's so funny how wellness has changed and grown and oh, developed God. in the last so two years, five years, 10 years, yes. much less. So I, I read on your Instagram that you had a lingerie blog at some point. When was that? Within I here? did. Tell us about that. So, yeah. So I think the blogging all started when I was working at the law firm. I had a a, a good friend that I met at the law firm who is still one of my best friends to this day. She was one of my bridesmaids. Her name is Meredith. And we were the two youngest women working at this law firm. And we were in corporate America and we weren't used to it. We're both from liberal arts colleges and just trying to get our bearings, you know? And so we were like, we need to be friends. <laughs> and so we started a blog together called Cubicle Chic. And it's as great as it sounds. We would go thrifting for like different outfits so and cool. try to get really creative within the corporate structure. So we didn't have professional cameras or anything like that. We just kind of took photos with whatever we had. And I would take photos of her and she would take photos of me. And um, it was a really fun project. So that's how we got started. Is it still on the internet? If you look it up, you will find the only thing that, (laughs) for some reason, the only thing that's on the internet is the bloopers that we put up there. So you'll just see pictures of me from when I was 22 or 23 looking heinous. (laughs) That's so fun. So that was your first vlog. That was the first vlog. And then after that, it it just, it was a lot of work and it was, you know, Meredith really wanted to make it a more official standard blog. And I was having other interests outside of corporate dressing and I really wanted out from the law firm. So I knew that logistically it was going to be hard to do together. Also at this time, my father is in rough shape. So I'm going home to Connecticut a lot and just had to make a lot of decisions around my time and energy. So a lot of it was being spent doing that. But I think it was after my father passed away, I started the lingerie blog. And I want to say that was maybe 2012, 2013. So was that like mostly you reviewing? How did you get the idea to do that? Honest to God, I don't know. I was really obsessed with this store in New York called Journal. Have you ever been? Yeah, I've walked. I know it's in the West Village. Yeah. There's one. Yes. And there's also one near Union Square. Okay. Yeah, I've walked by it for sure. And so I would go in there and I I was having really stressful days and really stressful time. And I would go in there and just feel 
so good. Mm. And, you know, I think that it was one of the very first ways that I started to show my body some love. And it was accessible fashion for me because lingerie is expensive, but it's more affordable than buying a really beautiful blouse or bag or a bag. Totally. Totally. I couldn't afford, you know, any design or anything. Yeah. So to buy a like really amazing pair of panties and bra or a bodysuit or something a little bit more avant-garde was cool. And then I started going to the trade shows and started to kind of connect to a lot of people in that world. And it was just fun. It was just really fun for a while. There was a lingerie fashion week and it was my first experience of being a quote unquote influencer, which is a word that I hate. (laughs) That's so cool that, so were you taking the photos of yourself and what, like, what was it like to put, was it mostly like photos of you and lingerie on the blog? Yeah. And was was. that jarring for you or especially like from coming from having an eating disorder, was that a different way to, to put your body out there like that? It felt good, but it was unhealthy, I think. So I hired a photographer. Her name is Lydia Hudgens. I still work with her to this day. And she would take photos of me in the lingerie. Often I would wear it, like I would try to wear it as outerwear. So like if I was wearing a bodysuit and shorts like I am today, I'd wear a cool bra so you can kind of see it in the back. Mm. But as I started to get more interested in lingerie and and try to diversify. I can show you my boudoir, my wardrobe. I still have it all. It's really cute. I want to I want to do it. I want to like get start getting into lingerie. It's cool. It's it's a cool world. But you know, I would there certainly were echoes of when I was anorexic and it wasn't it wasn't as bad, but I would modify how I ate before a photo shoot mm-hmm. or I started using e-cigs during that time, which was like really disgusting habit, but I didn't want to eat. So I would do that instead mm-hmm. as like a nervous mm-hmm. habit. And I'm so glad that I was turned off by them after a certain period of time because they were so addicting and so easy to like get access to. And I was like, why am I doing this? This is so bad. Like I have asthma. Why am I doing this? You know. So there was that element to it. And then after I ditched those is when I feel my bulimia really kicked in full Mm. force. So I was very cognizant of my body and what it looked like. And I I feel like it was an on and off relationship of how am I trying to change it? How am I trying to modify it for so long? So the lingerie blog was happening while you were still working these other jobs. Yeah. So it kind of bridged the time that I was at the law firm and freelancing for Hearst, as well as um, I had started working at, uh, I I quit the law firm and started, and Hearst, which I had to do to um, make this leap. It was contractual to start working at a company called Federated Media. And I continued the blog for a little while longer while I was there. But I wasn't, because I was working in a digital company in a digital space, I wasn't quite sure what I thought of putting my body out there on the internet. And especially in such an intimate context with lingerie. And so if you scroll deep down enough into my Instagram, you can still see those photos. I don't think I took any of them down, but I did take the website down and I have all the archives for me and for myself. And it's fun to kind of look back and see what I was writing at that time even. Mm -hmm. But the thing that was cool about the lingerie blog, and I think 
how this kind of transitioned into WellAware is it ended up being a conversation about how I felt about my body. Mm-hmm. So I was doing the pictures, but I was also writing. And that was the, the conversation was not necessarily about the lingerie. It was about how I was feeling. And so that to me felt more wellness than anything. And For so sure. that's kind of what the through line was and how I started well aware was that, you know, it had a very similar aesthetic, but I was talking about bodies and body confidence and what it was like to be in my body and to experience what I had experienced. And well aware was really a, you know, a project that I embarked on for myself and it was something that, you know, I wanted to learn. Like, I think podcasting is one of the best things you can do if you want to learn about yeah. a lot of different things. Yeah, for sure. As you can attest. Yeah. So what year is this about? So you have this new job at the agency. You decide to shut down the lingerie blog. And it's cool that you've had all this two other experiences with blogging. And so you start Well Aware, which starts as a podcast or it starts as a blog? Starts as a blog. Okay. Starts as a blog and an Instagram. And then I turned it into a podcast in 2014. Okay. So I believe that I shut down. I transitioned into at Federated in 2012. And I believe I shut down the laundry blog around the same time. So you start well aware. And what was that like? You're now more into wellness. And you mentioned that you had a relapse of bulimia. So what kind of healed that? And how did you go into treatment for that? And are you starting well aware around the same time? What's happening physically? So... I don't know what the clinical diagnosis is for bulimia, how many times you need to do that per day or per week, but I was doing it more so periodically. So I would just have an episode maybe once a week or once every other week where I would get ice cream was my trigger food. So I would get an ice cream and I would eat a whole pint of it. And then I would throw it up because I was like, I can't believe I just did that. Like I didn't even it was almost like a blackout zone. Like I would start to eat it and then I wouldn't know what happened. And then before I knew it, it was totally gone. And I think that's a, an act of self-hate to not really be aware of what you're consuming and to, to do it so voraciously. Because after you do that, you know, it's one thing if you're, you know, it's so funny. I think that you can kind of construe the same act as, an act of self-love or an act of self-hate. Somebody eating a whole pint of ice cream at the end of a long week, if you have your period and you're eating it slowly and you're enjoying it and you're watching Netflix or whatever it is that you're doing, that can be self-love, I think. But when you're by yourself, I would always do this by myself. When you're not doing anything or just looking at things online that are probably not great for you to look at or watching videos and you're just kind of tuning out, and you're just, you're not being mindful of, of what's going on. And then before you're not you know aware, it, even. yeah, you're not aware before you know it, you feel sick. So those would happen more and more sparsely up until I think 2016, which is kind of recent. That was the last time that I ever did that. And 
I made a promise to myself that I started personal training with a trainer who is now one of my good friends. Her name is Rebecca Kennedy. And I said, if you're going to commit to this personal training, I was personal training for before my wedding. I said, if you're going to do this personal training for yourself, you have to also promise yourself that you're not going to do this again. And I just haven't done it since. So during this time, you're blogging well aware. And how has that grown? And how did the podcast and, and everything that you've been writing on the blog, how did that change you? What are things that stick out that you've learned from it? Mm, that's a good question. It's changed a lot, a lot. I think I was doing it at the very early stages to kind of document my own personal growth and, and progress. And then it became a project for everybody because I started to get feedback from people who were listening to the podcast. So I would still, I think I have about 37 or 38 episodes out, something like that. And I, you know, I, I would find people who interested me and it wasn't necessarily that they needed to be in wellness. It was just, do I want to have a, a conversation with this mm -hmm. person? And that's how it, it grew. When I was posting regularly, we would get 40,000 downloads a month, which for a small podcast is, is pretty crazy. I, I thought more, more ears than I ever thought would listen. And it began to take on a life of its own. And eventually I ended up applying for a job at Mind Body Green. It was a, a senior wellness editor position. And um, I think it was my experience doing branded content at Federated Media, my experience with journalism, both doing it at NYU as a formal degree and also having experience out in the field and doing this podcast on my own that sort of made me a good fit for that position. Yeah. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about, you mentioned your job at Mind Body Green and until very recently, I've had a full-time job alongside of my podcast and all the creative things I do. And it's something I want to talk about on the podcast more. I talked about in an episode recently of demystifying that people who have blogs or creative projects support themselves fully through their creative work exclusively. So can you talk about, you know, you, it actually helped you to get this position at Mind Body Green. So maybe start there. What do you do there? And how did the two beat each other? And how did they, and now I know, and we can mention this now, you're, you're transitioning out of, out of that. But, you know, in this moment, you're still doing both. So how do you and did you do that? And, and eventually wrote this beautiful book that I'm staring at, The Spirit Almanac, A Modern Guide to Ancient Self-Care, which I want to talk all about. But you wrote a book while also having a full-time job, which I can weirdly also relate to. So mm -hmm. let's talk let's talk about that. Let's start with, you know, what you do at Mind Body Green and, you know, kind of some of the highlights of that. You recently interviewed Jewel this week. Yeah. Talk about that. Let's rant about that. Not rant, but um, what's the word? Gush about that. Gush. Yeah. She's my dream podcast guest. So if anyone's listening and can help make that happen. I mean, I can send you her 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 people's info if... if okay, they, well, maybe yeah. this is happening quicker than I thought. Yeah. I love her. So she, what was it like? I mean, she was equal parts pragmatic and dreamer. The perfect combination. <laughs> yeah. But I also had no idea how into this journey that she is. 
And so, you know, how some, sometimes celebrities say that they're into wellness and it's really just to do some kind of partnership with a brand. She was doing a partnership with a brand and that's why I was interviewing her. That's usually how those types of things happen is that the PR person will say, hey, Jules is the spokesperson for Kroger, the grocery store, and they're having a wellness festival in October. And by the way, we want you to interview Jewel. And in your article, you should just mention that. And so I did. And, and we ended up talking about anxiety and panic attacks, which is something that- I read that, her book and she articulates that stuff so well. I have not read her book. You've done your homework. I did not, I did not read her book, but she said that she suffered from them quite a bit. And I mean, her story is nuts. Her mom, and then she was homeless. Yeah, just, and she she's so resilient this entire time. And one thing that stuck out to me is that she said she never uses her name for anything to get anything. She never uses it to get a table at a restaurant or preferential treatment, except when she's trying to get a good doctor, which I thought was really interesting. But we talked about, we talked about anxiety. We talked about panic attacks and we talked about how she gets over them. And, you know, she told me a little bit more about her, her personal journey and, and how that shaped who she is today. What were some of her practical tips on anxiety and panic attacks? So, or we'll just link to the article. <laughs> we'll, we'll link to the article. She said that one thing that she recommends is that if you sense a panic attack coming on, to try to introduce a sensory element. So whether you can introduce an essential oil that you can smell or a strawberry you can taste, just something that is turning off the circuit that's starting to run in your brain because your frontal lobe, I guess, this is what she was saying. I don't know if this is the actual science, but your frontal lobe turns off. Your ability to reason turns off when you're having a panic attack. That and makes so much sense. Yeah, totally. It brings you back to the present moment. Brings you back to the present moment. So if you can, and a lot of times it's the last thing that you want to do because you feel like puking or you feel like fainting or, or whatever. But if you can catch it early enough to be able to, to switch that track, that's one thing she recommended. She also provided a visualization that she uses quite a bit that um, I think she said that she imagines that she's on a, a ship on a windy sea in a very stormy ocean. And she's standing on the edge of this ship and she uh, visualizes herself falling backwards into the water. Meanwhile, I'm thinking this sounds stressful AF. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I was like, and I'm getting nauseous. I know, exactly. But she said she imagines herself kind of floating down to the bottom of the ocean floor. And down there, it's very quiet and calm. And she can usually feel like she's coming out of a panic attack. And she said it takes a lot of practice. She said she's had years of practice to get to this place where she can actually think herself out of a panic attack. And I've recently just started getting them. So I'm just like, I, I need all the help I can get. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very helpful and very inspiring. Yeah. Interviewing Jewel is just one of the cool things that you've gotten to do at your job at MindBodyGreen. So eventually you get this job, which I think probably at the time was a dream job. Total, total dream job. And what, what was it like? What are some of the highlights of working there? And then how did you decide ultimately to make the decision of leaving? So it was a total dream job. You know, after starting Well Aware was something I was doing for free, something I was so passionate about. 
And I was really becoming connected in the wellness world because I was, without really knowing it, I was forging these connections with people and making bonds with people. And my podcast helped a lot of these people who I featured. And I don't even think I I realized um, at the time, but it was cool to be recognized for that. And it was funny when I joined because, and I don't, uh, in retrospect, I'm thinking maybe it's just because everybody's nice and did their homework before they met me, but they, they all said, oh my God, I love your podcast. I listened to your podcast. And I just felt so seen and yeah. so welcomed. And really everybody that works at Mind Body Green is an angel. Like it's a really warm team. Yeah, I can sense that. Yeah. The few people I've met. Yeah. Everybody is really committed to the mission of wellness. And I think everybody is also committed to each other. And we, you know, we support it, we support each other. And it's just a loving and kind yeah. community and, and kind place to work. That's great to hear. And for people listening, if they're not familiar with Mind Body Green, I'll link my episode from a million years ago with Jason and you can hear all about what it is and how it started and, and, and all of that. But it's good to hear that it's, you know, what it seems on the internet, something that, you know, has, it's been such a great part of my life, even from afar. I remember contributing my first article in 2012 and writing. Oh, gee. Yeah. And kind of writing ever, ever since I haven't in a long time, but it's been cool to, to see it grow as a consumer of, of mind body brain. So at the same time, you have this full-time job, you eventually get married during this, and you write a book and still have a podcast and a blog. How was that balance? And how did you how were you able to do all of that? There was I know no for balance. me, yeah, it did not go well for me. <laughs> was not, yeah. I did not make the best decisions. <laughs> the week I started at Mind Body Green, I also got married. So it was it was the same wow. week. I had gotten married that Saturday and I started on a Thursday or Friday. I also started my yoga teacher training that week. Oh my gosh. How long ago was this? 2016. Okay. So this is recent. Relatively. I still think 2016 was yesterday, but... It feels that way. It wasn't that long ago. I know. Yeah. It's about to be 2019. I know. That, that, that's crazy. So I, I really sort of packed... Anybody who's gotten married knows that it's intense to plan and then to do and then to come down from it and then all the wrapping up that you have to do afterward. It's like another full-time job. It was. Yeah, it was. Did you have a big wedding? It was 120 people, but we I didn't have a wedding planner or anything like that. So I just did everything myself. Was it here? It was. It was at the Brooklyn Winery oh. in Williamsburg. It was lovely. It was it was a awesome, probably the best night of my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I know people say that all the time, but it's cool because you get to have all of your people in the same yeah. room and da- everyone's dancing, everyone's eating cake. Yeah. And it's great. Yeah. It's great. What, I mean, I, I love, love weddings. Love weddings. Yeah. I, I do. I love I them do too. too. They're great. I wish I could go to yours. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just reverse. Yeah. We'll just get married again. Great. I would like <laughs> an invite. <laughs> yeah. So that was intense. And then I started yoga teacher training, which was also intense. And I, I don't know why I thought it would be. I actually think I signed up for the yoga teacher training before I knew I was going to be starting at Mind Body Green. So I think I signed up in like June of that year. And mm-hmm. then I ended up transitioning and leaving my old job and starting this new one. And it just so happened that 
you know, Saturn was returning hardcore. Yeah. So that was intense. Uh, there were a lot of nights that I worked until 11 or 12. P you know, I would do yoga and then I would do more work until 11, 12, one o'clock in the morning and then do it, do it all again. And at the time I was okay. Like my body was okay. I was able to handle it. It was just more of an emotional drain, I would say. And the training ended, I want to say December of 2016. And that's kind of when the book talk started happening. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the book and how it came to be? Yeah. And, so, and what it is? So and then we'll it get back is to called, your... the book is called The Spirit Almanac and so it's a beautiful. guide to self-care by the season. So it's broken up into four chapters and each chapter is correlated with a season so and cool. it will be illustrated in color. The copy that you're looking at now is, is black and white, but basically we, we link the old with the new. So we did a lot of research around holidays that are ancient or forgotten. There's some more whimsical holidays in there. And there are also new ways to celebrate uh, holidays that have been kind of commercialized. And the, the spiritual element is sometimes really hard to get in touch with and to stay in touch with. So we give the reader sort of this, this the, so the much. I want to cry. Oh, I want so like, sweet. I want this so much. Well, you're going to get one. You're on our VIP list. Thank God. <laughs> but yeah, and it's, it is a book of rituals that you can, you know, refer back to. It is sort of a reference book and it's not one that you have to read cover to cover. You can open it one day and yeah. say, this is how I'm feeling, or this is the day or the season that it is. This is how you can change your altar. This is the kind of movement you can do. You know, just things that resonate with the time of year really as cool. well as, um, you know, ways ways to connect with yourself. That's so cool. So well, let's go back to the writing process. You mentioned your friend, Emma. How did you guys meet and how did you separate the work? What was your part and what was her part? Yeah. So Emma is my colleague at Mind Body Green. She is the sustainability editor, sustainability and home editor. And she asked me to join her. It was actually, it was interesting. She and another editor were supposed to write it together. And due to some circumstances that arose, that editor had to bow out and I came in. So it was based on a series that Emma had put together called Spirit Almanac. And uh, I believe a small publisher reached out to Emma and wanted to want, wanted her to write a book. And at that point, Emma got an agent and our agent shopped it around and ended up selling it to Tartar Perigee, which is an imprint of Penguin Random House. So that was cool. Also, congratulations. Oh, what a thanks. serendipitous story for both of you. It certainly was serendipitous. And I'm always in awe of Emma because she was 23 at the time. Wow. I know. I know. Book Lovers Day. I'm I need to stop looking at this because it's going <laughs> to, I, I'm going to have to be like, I'm, I'm sorry, Lindsay, I got to go. I'm reading. <laughs> yeah. I hope you like it. I hope you like it. Do I? I already do. Wow. So what was the writing process like between the two of you? What did I, I interrupted you by asking the other question? But. That's okay. So Emma took two seasons and I took two seasons. Okay. She did summer and winter and I did fall and spring. It's kind of cool to know that going into the book. Yeah. Of, I feel like that's like behind the scenes information. You'll it be is. able to know what's 
It is because we don't say that in the book. Yeah. It's presented as a collaboration. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Exclusive. Exclusive. That's great. That's so exciting. And was the, I'm sure now that you're, you know, you're out promoting the book together, you will be, that hasn't started a ton yet, but working with her, did that help your relationship? Did that bring you closer working on a project with someone? Yes. Emma is, I believe her moon is in Virgo. For anybody who doesn't know astrology, that Virgo is associated with being hyper-organized. Mm-hmm. Virgo season that we're recording. This. Yes. And I am, I used to think I was an organized person. And then I met Emma. <laughs> are, you, are you a Taurus too? No, no. I'm, a, I'm a Leo okay. with a lot of cancer energy. So my moon is in cancer um, and my rising is Scorpio. Okay. I have a Leo moon. What's your sun sign? Taurus. Taurus. Mm-hmm. Oh. And what's your rising? I forget that one always. I don't know. We'll have I gotta to look, look it up. It up. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is all to say that, and she's a Gemini. Her sun sign's a Gemini. My husband's a Gemini. I work well with Geminis. My boyfriend's a Gemini. Yeah, they're good people. Mm-hmm. I love Geminis. But she, you know, working with her, I almost apologize because she kept everything running and humming to a T. But there are a lot of ways too where I feel like because I joined the book after it was formed a certain a certain way, it started and was rooted and planted as her project. So I felt really special because she invited me to be a part of that. And you will certainly see Lindsay trademarks throughout the book. But at the end of the day, I see this as Emma's book. Mm. Yeah. Well, that I helped to me with. like a beautiful collaboration. And that's so cool. I'm really happy it exists and that I get to have a copy. And the two of us, you know, we just found that we, as we were writing, the seasons were changing. Mm-hmm. So I started yeah. really writing fall when it was fall. And that's cool. I had to write spring a little bit prematurely. I finished it before it was really spring, but it gave me a lot to look forward to. Yeah, I bet. That's so exciting. I'm going to follow this starting in fall. I'm interrupting this episode for something really important. I just want to tell you about Let a Podcast Out. If you have an idea for a podcast, maybe you've had one for a while or you know someone who has one, I made something for you. It's called Let a Podcast Out, and it's for anyone who wants to what I call DIY podcast. So that's podcasting alongside a full-time job or as a hobby or something that you want to create and bring to the world and make community around. I've been podcasting since 2013. It's the best thing I've ever done. And I went into a cocoon this winter, and I made an eight-module, nine lectures of everything from how to come up with a name and a concept, how to get it to iTunes, the technology, the microphones, all the things, interviewing. That was my favorite part. We talk about monetizing it and marketing it and getting people to listen to it. Everything you would ever want to know about podcasting. You can get the first two modules of this completely free by going to letapodcastout.club. And just for you listening right now, I have a discount code for you. If you do want to take the whole course, highly suggest it. 
Just use the code Let It Out for $50 off. It's not just me talking in the course. I interviewed a bunch of other podcasters, including Jess Lively, Jessica Mernan, the host of Almost 30, the host of Being Boss, the hosts of That's So Retrograde. I interviewed literally dozens of people about podcasting, everyone from a voice coach to an audio engineer. So it's not just my knowledge, it's the knowledge of a lot of other people. And the best part is that there's accountability. There's a contest for follow through that makes you hopefully use the information and create a podcast. You can submit to me at the end after six months, a fully baked podcast or a clip from your podcast. And I choose one to air on this channel. I don't know if I'll be offering this again. I really think I might not. So this is your chance to do it. The last day to sign up is on the 28th. And either way, just check out the first two modules completely for free by going to the link in the show notes or letapodcastout.club. And I really hope you do. Let me know if you have any questions at all about podcasting. Email me. My email is katie at katiedebaugh.com. Even if you have no desire to do the course, I really don't want to leave any podcaster behind. And if I can share anything that I've learned over the past six years, email me and I want to help you. Okay, back to the episode with Lindsay. Let's go back to your time at Mind Body Green and your decision to leave Mind Body Green, which I'm assuming was was very difficult. And yeah. I can I can relate to making that decision as well, being something that is really challenging for a number of reasons, the security and the safety, and also, you know, in your case, the passion with what you're doing in general likability. We when we hung out the first time we were talking about, you know, it's like leaving a relationship that's just kind of lackluster. Like you almost want there to be someone cheats on someone, it's easy to leave. Or, you know, if there's something really, really intense, it's really easy to leave. But when everything's just kind of okay or or even good or great, but it's just too much, it's hard to it makes that decision a lot more difficult. Can you talk about what that was like? Yeah, I mean, certainly. And I, I still feel like I'm processing. So this is just going to be a snapshot of where I am Great now. But my decision to leave was hard. I think that a number of things contributed. So the first thing is that since July, my health has just been, and, and you know this because we've been trying to plan to get together for so long, my health has just been declining, I guess is, is the best way to put it. So I went to the ER, I think three times in July. I had a colonoscopy. I wore a Holter monitor, which is basically a portable EKG with electrodes all over your body. I got a sonogram of my heart. I've had somewhere between 50 and 75 different blood tests done, some of them more than once, and a number of other procedures done as well, and, and still looking for answers. And it's very frustrating. And I can see now, it's interesting when I started at Mind Body Green, one of the things Mind Body Green is known for is giving a voice to somebody that may not have it or making somebody feel less alone. And a lot of those stories are stories of people with chronic illness or people with autoimmune diseases. And if you've never experienced them, it is kind of easy. And I'll admit to this, it's kind of easy to read those stories and to say like, all right, just get over it. Like, get over it, figure it out. 
like stop eating gluten and get on with your life. And looking back, I can't believe that I ever thought that because these things are so real. And I can just say that now because I'm, I'm going through it now. I'm experiencing it now. And every day is different. You know, symptoms are, are very weird. And um, every day I wake up and I'm, I'm grateful that I am waking up, you know, it feels that intense sometimes. And so this started happening in July and that, you know, that was in the background. And I, like I said before, I, I, I had been doing a lot of other things in addition to my job. So I was doing my job, which was demanding, you know, at Mind Body Green, people work really, really, really hard. It's a huge team effort and everybody works their butts off. And, um, you know, we were working really hard and I was burning the midnight oil, you know, doing yoga teacher training and stretching myself really thin and not seeing my friends. And then, you know, when the book started, that was an incredible opportunity, but similar thing of, you know, I also think that when, when you work full time and your job is to look at a computer screen and then you come home or on the weekends and you're looking at a computer screen even more, I'm sure you can relate to this. It's, bad for your eyes. It's bad for your spirit. It's just, it can feel like a brain in a jar. Yeah. (laughs) That's a really good way of putting it. It's just, it can feel very, um, you're kind of forgetting the needs of your body. You're putting your mind over what your body physically needs. I, I found where I'll just be like, my legs are asleep. I haven't peed. I haven't eaten, but I have to get through three more emails or I have to get this certain thing written or whatever it is, because I feel like that will give me peace. That will give me, and then I can rest, you know, and then, and it just, and uh, and it's never done. I mean, it's never done, you know, it's never done. Never your relationships suffer and your physical health suffers. And, or even if, even if it's like, you you know, you're just, you have your full-time job and then you have this other job and then you you have another job, which is writing a book or, you know, you're doing a, a more intensive training, like a yoga teacher training if you don't have hours that are nine to five, which I certainly did not, my, my hours were, you know, I was expected to go to events. I did have to work late, which is pretty standard. I, yeah. I think that you're setting yourself up to not have a lot of time away from the digital space. Or even just unscheduled time. Mm-hmm. Boredom. None. <laughs> doesn't exist. Didn't exist. And so... I always wanted to sort of pursue my own creative endeavors and see what well aware could be if I focused more time and energy on it. And I don't know if you ever felt this way in your full-time job, Katie, but I, time is such an interesting thing now that we're getting a little bit older. And I feel like for me, my course has always been, and as I was even speaking before, trying to choose the job that gave me the most money because I do have student loans and I, I do want to be able to save some money and I don't come from money. My family has no money. So for me, you know, growing up super middle-class and not having, you know, I never had a, a credit card that my mom was like, you know, here's a credit card. I'll pay the bill. But that never happened in my life. Been working since I was 15. And so for me, this choice was really hard because when I started to think about what life would be like if I left, I started to 
have these thoughts and they were, how dare you stop making money? How dare you take this time for yourself when your parents never did that for themselves? Mm. Why do you get to do that? It felt like an unbelievably privileged decision. I relate to that so much. And I think for me, my job and you're, you know, with Mind Body Green at least, and, and maybe the other positions that you had, there was a part of you that was really creatively fulfilled by your work and really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And and also was your security and your safety and and supported you financially. I think for me, there was a little bit of that in what I did, but for all of it, it was a means to an end, you know? And it was just what I saw modeled for me. My, like you said, my parents still work the same job. They've been there for 30 years and it's full-time job with benefits. That's just what you do. You don't, you don't like work. It's just work, Mm -hmm. you know? So it felt very privileged for me to be like, I'm going to do something that I want to do, that I enjoy, that I like, felt like, yeah, I'm still wrestling with that. And I'm not to say that, you know, who knows, I may get a full-time job again or who. Exactly. But I mean, there's still no, and that's the other part of it mm-hmm. is this unknown and this walking into a thousand percent uncertainty. Yeah. And I'm lucky enough that I'm married. And so I'm on my husband's insurance and he could, if I, if I can't pay my bills, which is my full plan to freelance and pay bills. But if there is a month that's dry or whatever happens, Mm -hmm. if I get sick again, then I'm lucky enough that for a temporary time, he could help. I have a little bit of savings. So it is a privileged position to be in. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would be able to, to do this without that support. Yeah, And I feel like I just think that's important to make clear because all this time, you know, this is what I've wanted to do. And I think for me, you know, I had to get out of credit card debt. I had to start really tackling my loans. It was a real financial year, a couple of years for me, really focusing on that and making it so that if I did decide that I wanted to go out on my own, I had a little bit of savings and I could, I could do that and not fully, you know, be eating only ramen all the time, although I won't be eating what I'm used to eating anymore because there will be some lifestyle adjustments. But I think that that's also good. Mm-hmm. And I think that those adjustments are cooking more at home and not having lattes every day and things like that, that sometimes you do for yourself when you're in a full-time job so that you can feel sane and you can mm-hmm. feel good. And you know, I don't know what it's like to be on the other side quite yet, um, I'm still finishing out my last day. We're recording on the 16th, Today the 16th. Something like that. I don't know. And my last day is the 28th. So I still have a huge project I need to finish and quite a few articles I need to finish. So I'm not quite out yet. But yeah, I, I think that now is the time too. You know, I'm 31. I think that I've worked my ass off to get to where I am right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm in a place right now where if I was going to take this leap, now would be a good time. Totally. Yeah. It's just, you kind of have to feel out when it, when it is the time, Yeah, I think. And I'm so happy we're talking about this on the podcast and we're having this conversation. We had this conversation a couple of months ago and we hung out and 
I talked about it with the episode with Kat and it was something that I for so long never talked about the fact that I had a full-time job on the podcast, mm-hmm. not because I was embarrassed, but because I, I actually didn't even know that until we talked about it. Most people didn't. And but whenever I would say that, they'd be like, oh my God, how do you do it? Like most people didn't know that. And it wasn't because I was embarrassed. It was because I, I wasn't really passionate about what I did and I didn't want to I just didn't really want to talk about it. I wanted to talk about whatever I was talking about that that week. And there was part of me early on that felt like it delegitimized the creative work, the fact that I wasn't supporting myself fully or it made it like for some reason less yeah, I guess less legitimate in some way, but I think it's the opposite, you yeah, know, and I, and I think everybody's situation is so different. Like some people have a trust fund like you said or some people marry someone who supports them or some people come into money in, in all sorts of different ways. And that's fine. And and that wasn't my situation. And I think everybody supports their creative work in different ways. And it's just, I think having an honest conversation and honestly talking about it the way that we are right now and publicly makes other people feel less alone of how we all make this work. There are so many different ways to make it work. And I figured out how to make it work for this month, but I don't, you know, it's like, it's constantly changing. It's constantly changing. And money is something that it's so interesting. Like I love, I've never had money, like quote in air quotes, like had Mm -hmm. money. So I love having money in the bank. Like that's a good feeling. Mm -hmm. I have a tiny amount, a tiny amount. I could probably get by in New York for a few months if I needed to. So it's really interesting though, the mental shift that happens when you are able to save a little bit and to have that put away for yourself for this purpose. Mm -hmm. I think that creates some kind of energetic shift and a little bit of space. Power almost. It gives you power to make choices, you know, based on- Then you don't feel stuck in a job if you're- And it's interesting too, because I have a lot of friends who are artists and especially in this neighborhood, in this community, it's a, it's an artist neighborhood and a lot of them do freelancing and then they do their art. But that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, which is choosing time over money. And I think that I'm with this choice, it's not even it feels less of me leaving a job and more of me saying, I want time back. And for me, that was a big shift in how I was thinking because for so long I thought, you know, and people say time is money and, or money is time or whatever people say they're interchangeable. And I think after you have a certain amount of money, sure, that's the case. But if you're not making a ton of money and you can't simplify your life with the money that you're making and also save and live well, then you don't have your time. So, you're, you know, you're, you're working all the time. And for me, it was a shift of how I wanted to, you know, I think when you go through something that's really intense health-wise and you're laying down on the emergency room bed and you're wondering, and this sounds really dramatic, but you're wondering if there's going to be another day, then you really start to think about how you spend your days. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, and I also think too, everything that I've gone through so far, 
both with eating disorders and with, you know, binge drinking, I think there's a, a phrase that I heard a friend use recently in a podcast that I will release. It's actually our friend Marley. She oh. said that um, she's working on divine time or magic time mm. because she feels like there were so many times that she could have passed and passed away because of what she was going through at that time. And I feel similar. Like I feel at this moment, time is what I want and time to be free is also what I want. And that to me is what is so appealing about kind of restructuring life and not going into an office every day, but just pursuing things as they come. And it's a little scary because you don't know what it's going to look like. Uncertainty. Complete uncertainty. But the other thing too, is that you also don't know, there is a false sense of certainty, I think, in in a full-time job. And that's another thing that I, I had to realize as well. Yeah. It's so fascinating that we, I don't know, I'm just so glad we're talking about this. And I feel like it's such an interesting thing to transitions in, in life are, are so interesting because this year I, when we were hanging out, I told you this too, I've also been to the hospital twice in the last six months and I've had kidney stones and all of these things. And I think I experienced my first burnout, but I say, I think because there's not like a alarm that goes off. That's mm-hmm. like, this is happening it, here mm-hmm. and go, mm-hmm. you know, it's just kind of like you're there and you have to admit it to yourself. And, and really maybe I can only see it in retrospect of like what that did for my relationships and my body and my, and my creative work and my work work. Like none of it was good mm-hmm. and I wasn't good, Yeah, but I was doing it all. Like it was all getting done. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just when you're, when you're gumbying yourself, you know, when you're spreading yourself so thin, none of it's really good. And what I was walking around saying was, I want more white space. I want more white space. Mm-hmm. I remember I said that on a, I, Marley, who we mentioned it, I've been working with her as like a coach. And I said to her, I remember she wrote this in my notes. You said white, you want more white space like 12 times. <laughs> like, And I didn't even really know what that meant, but I just wanted time in my calendar that wasn't booked so I could figure out what I wanted and I could get that clarity and something had to go for me to do that. And it was so scary to figure out what that was going to be. Like I considered it being the podcast. I considered it being, you know, my creative work. I considered it being my job. And ultimately that's what I decided. But I considered all of these, these possibilities because I just, something had to change. Yeah. I also think something that goes hand in hand with that is just the realization that time and energy are finite. Yeah. And I think when I was younger, you know, when I worked at the law firm and also worked for Hearst, I was making bank and I was getting four hours of sleep a night. And then, you know, I would work overtime at the law firm. And then even at Federated, I I worked quite a lot. There were a lot of different transitions going on in that company, lots of mergers and acquisitions and things like that. And yeah, I think that it takes some time, but you can't always have this and that. Yeah, you can't have everything at the same time. No, exactly, exactly. And so I also think, you know, being in my early 30s has taught me that my body (laughs) is also not 
an unlimited resource and I need to really get eight hours of sleep a night. And I need to, because I didn't for so long and I need to do the yoga and I need to do the body work. And I feel like I'm in a kind of burnout rehab right now. That's kind of how I feel. Yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm in that too. Maybe we can, that can be our fall almanac and we can kind of do it together. Yeah. So down. That sounds lovely. Yeah. Another thing that I didn't realize, and I would love your perspective on this, like you mentioned, your body and your energy aren't a finite resource. What I experienced even more than the body stuff is relationships like your relationships aren't a finite resource and you know compassion fatigue is a is a thing you know and how have you experienced that you know I kind of had to say to all of my friends like look I'm my I have a friend that we we call it GTI going through it and I was like I am GTI right now and I am going to have to say no to a lot of things and I'm kind of in my cocoon and most everyone in my life was like super understanding but how did this affect your relationships or specifically your relationship with your husband? Like kind of, you can take it even further back throughout all of these changes with you. How has that gone? Yeah. So I'm lucky that Aaron is pretty supportive of whatever I decide to do as long as it's not like harming myself in some way. And we have the kind of relationship where we call each other out on shit all the time and so we're working on shit all the time. It's very much a work in progress. So, and this is after 10 years. So for him, it was clear for months that I needed to leave. And it wasn't clear for me yet. I needed to do my own work around it. It's the same thing with, with my boyfriend. Yeah. And he saw, I think he saw the changes, you know, I started to be less social. I started to stay at home a lot more because I was tired with a capital T and, you know, that was my body speaking to me and I wasn't listening. And three emergency room visits later, here we are. And I'm trying to make different and better decisions, but you know, the body takes time to heal. Mm-hmm. And it's been like three months-ish since all of this went down with my health. And um, I I would say that things are moving in a good direction, but it's still, you know, the body is still very delicate and very fragile. Yeah. With my other relationships, my friends have been such huge support. A lot of them have moved away from New York, which is kind of sad. So we have a lot of phone dates And I still did that even when I was working on the book. I I haven't seen them in person as much as I would like because that requires visiting, whether it's New Jersey or Maine. And that takes time. And I didn't didn't have time. I will soon. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I just, I didn't. And so so there was that piece of it. And I'm lucky that my friends are really understanding and they want to know how the writing was going and how the work was going. And they all do very different things. So it's cool to get their perspective on it. And my one friend, Meredith, who I did the cubicle chic vlog with, she recently um, came over for a sleepover because Aaron was out of town for work and I was feeling horrible. Like I was feeling Mm -hmm. like I might faint at any moment. And 
I didn't want to be alone. And so she came and slept over. Yeah. So it's, it's really nice that I've had such supportive yeah. friends and have been able to be supportive, but that's not to say that it hasn't been difficult. Yeah. I haven't seen them as much. And when I feel like you haven't seen your friends as much, and then you reach out for something because you need it from them is not the best feeling. Yeah. And certainly with Aaron, you know, his, his company and, and he's going through his own sort of transformation as well. So with the two of us both going through transformations, usually it's one of us is going through something GTI <laughs> and the other can support. Mm-hmm. And lately it's been, both of us have been going through something. And I think with my health and him having to needing to be more supportive of that, and also him having more demands at work, we both just have a shorter fuse. So things can blow up and, you know, we'll, we have a rule. We have a number of house rules. You can read them on the wall, but we have a rule oh, where... I'm excited to read them. Yeah. So one of our rules is that we can't let more than two days go by without talking about something, but we also don't need to talk about it that night. Like we're oh, not like... That's so good. Yeah. We're not the couple that's like, we'll never... I think he even put in his vows where it's like, we'll never go to bed angry at each other. He's like, that's bullshit. I know we will. <laughs> but as long we have to talk about the next day or the day after, just like I we need some time that. to simmer. Because I've been, I'm, this is happening like right now, but I will be like, I want to talk about it right now just because I want to get back to being normal. And that never goes well. Cause I'm just trying to get through it where Nick wants to like sit down and like really dig into it. And I'm just like, wanting to press fast forward and that never works. I'm trying to not be present. So that had a lot to do with me not having the time and and the present. It's hard to sit with discomfort too. Yeah. And I'm terrible at my therapist pointed that out to me this week. I'm horrible at her words where you do not respond well to discomfort and no one does, but no, but it's, it's, you know, discomfort in a marriage, especially in New York can look like, one person sitting at the kitchen table at a laptop, like watching, you know, watching stand-up comedy and laughing and the other person in the other room, like journaling and crying mm. and like you're processing it differently. Yeah. That was last night, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's not because we're insensitive. It's because I needed to have my moment. I think crying is really good medicine. And I also knew I you know, it's a certain time in my cycle. So I know that almost every single time, every single month, I will feel this way no matter what. And with him, he often needs to kind of like take his mind off of things in order to come back to it in a more rational way. And the important thing is we do, we return to it. And I think it's that returning that is the crucial part. Because if you let it kind of putter out and simmer too long, then you'll kind of forget what yeah. it was that was happening. Get implanted somewhere. And it, it will just continue to come up. Yeah. I talk about that individually with feelings a lot, especially when my book was coming out. Like sometimes coping is okay, you know, turning to TV or food or drugs or or work or whatever in the moment can be okay or your phone or whatever it is can be fine, but eventually you're going to have to solve instead of cope. You're going to have to let it out in the words that I use. Yeah. You can't cope, continue to cope. 
What's your greatest lesson on romantic relationships? Oh man, Katie, that's a hard question. There's a lot of lessons to be learned. And I think that you can learn so much about yourself in relationship. And for me right now, I would say it's to enjoy your differences as a source of richness. I think that's a phrase in our ketubah. What's that? It's a marriage contract. Oh, it's right cool. there on the wall. You can take a closer look. So when, beautiful. Yeah. It's a it's a lovely little we wanted to make it pretty so we could hang it. But in I'm not Jewish, but Aaron is. And when you're Jewish, you have a contract. And I could be getting this wrong, so don't fully quote me on this, but I think in more historic times, men and women would have this contract so that there would be no guesses as to whose responsibility was what. And they would sign it. And and now they can be a little bit more of a formality. So we had one because we wanted one. And I think for me, that was, it's interesting. I think being in this wellness world and being on a spiritual path can be really transformative. And you can iterate yourself and iterate yourself. And it can be hard to be with a partner who's not doing the same thing. And I think it's important to recognize that that's okay and that the relationships that you see on Instagram of yoga teacher and yoga teacher or people who are are living their best lives with their partner and and they seem like you know it's a perfect perfect match because they're all into the same things it's so easy for me to see that and say damn I wish I had that but also, I think it is so important to be with somebody who can provide a different perspective and to deepen the relationship. And I'm not saying that people in wellness who are together do not have deep relationships. It's not what I'm meaning to say. But um, I guess what I am trying to say is that it's it's okay if if your partner is not on the same path as you. Oh, my God. I needed to hear that. That is so relevant and honest and so true. And it makes you more well-rounded and grounded for me. Yeah, just, yeah. I think it can be very tempting to fully transform your life into something that you want to become. And I think it's fine if you do, but I also think that returning to your circle of friends, returning to your partner, there's a reason you like them. And there's a reason you got together. And just because it doesn't fit into what you're into right now doesn't mean that it's wrong. So good. Okay. A couple more things I want to get into before I ask you the questions I ask everyone. Yeah. You've mentioned a couple of times that your dad passed away. Mm-hmm. And I'm so sorry. Oh, thanks. Will you talk about the experience of losing a parent and so young? Yeah, for sure. Grief? Yeah. I still think that, you know, it's it's still processing sometimes. My father was diagnosed with cancer when I was in high school, I want to say between 15 and 17 years old. Were you guys really close? We were. Yeah, we were. My brother was born three years after me and I kind of became daddy's girl when he was born because my mom's attention was on my brother, rightfully so. So 
we did a fair amount of hanging out. I would go with him on fishing trips and things like that. Like a total tomboy. I was at least for when I was younger. And it, yeah, he he was so goofy, so hardworking. And I look back now and I wonder if his work schedule and and all of that had some kind of effect. It's interesting. He was also into wellness and I use quotes, air quotes, because we had a Nordic track. Do you know what that is? It was this ski machine, cross-country ski machine, where you would have these levers that you pull with your hands. At the same time, you're moving these giant skis with your feet. So like an elliptical? <laughs> but like on one plane. Oh, it sounds kind so of fun. Back and forth. It was fun, but it, it was hilarious to watch too. Yeah. You should look up a video videos of people doing Nordic track and you'll see why it was funny. He had like he would always have the most up to date fitness thing. He did like that P ninety X. He like would go oh, running. Wow, I, that. I loved would, that. Yeah, I would always do that. The ten minute ab workout. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So would I. I would do. We would. We he would share them with me, and like he sent them to me at college because he got he's like obsessed with burning CDs, and so he would do that. We shared similar tastes in music. So when he told us, it's actually really interesting. We went on a boat ride. We had a boat, a very small boat. Um, and we went on this beautiful boat ride. And I remember thinking on this boat ride, like, God, like I haven't cried in so long. We're outside and it's windy and the sun is setting and it's just so beautiful. I have so much to be grateful for. And when we got home from the boat ride was when he told us. So we kind of had a family meeting, which we had never had prior to that. Did your mom know? She did. Yeah, she knew. And at the time, it was a cancer that was small enough that it was supposed to be one surgery, radiation, and then done. But it kept coming back. And so he got sicker and sicker and sicker as years went on. I think he probably had more than a dozen surgeries, chemos, radiations, all of that. And when you start to see a person's physical form wither, it's very hard. And so there was a point where it was in his neck. It was like around his larynx and he had to get his voice box removed. And he had that hole called a stoma where you could literally just see right inside his body. And then he would have a auto mechanical voice that he would press. And God, it was so hard. Yeah. It was robotic. So now even when I hear anything that sounds remotely robotic, I'm triggered almost. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. And it just got, it got really difficult to watch even. Yeah. And You're so this so was, young. yeah. And this He's was happening. So he was so young and I was so young and this was happening, you know, when I was in college and a little bit thereafter. And actually when he passed, Aaron and I were broken up. We were taking a, a one year sort of break, which is a whole story into itself. But we, so he, things were not looking good. And I came home and we got to see each other and he was going to be transferred from the hospital to hospice. And we thought that there was, we didn't know how much longer he had left, but we thought it was going to be longer than the time that I was there. <laughs> and I remember I was working at the law firm at the time and I remember asking for time off and just saying like, I think I need to go home like immediately and I'm really glad that I did because 
a couple of days after that, he ended up passing away and he had just, he took a ride in the ambulance from the hospital to hospice. And that must've been really rough on his system because when he got to hospice, we were doing paperwork to sign him in. And my brother and I were bickering, I remember. And then the nurse turned to us and, and said, he's gone. And so we oh turned, turned around and, um, you know, we just, I remember just throwing my body over his on the bed and just weeping. And we all just were like my brother. I don't know if he, I don't know if he was showing a ton of emotion, but I just remember being so deeply sad. And, you know, I saw my mom show emotion too, which is rare. <laughs> and at that moment, it went from shock to numb. And for a long time, it stayed that way. So, you know, during the funeral and the logistics that follow, it was, okay, you ha we have to do this. I have to write the obituary. I have to, you know, we have to help mom with the, the pictures and the this and the that. There are all these logistics that come up that you don't even yeah. think about. And then you go back to your real life and then it kind of starts to set in. And there are moments where you're thinking, oh, I would want to text or email him. And, you know, he's just not there. And that's, I think, when it starts to get really hard. And, you know, there are still moments every year, every day that are hard. And for anybody that's ever lost a parent that young, you know, I feel like it's twofold, really. First, I feel like I got, I had so much clarity then. I think I mentioned Aaron and I were broke up. And I think I, I, I got this clarity that I wanted to be with him because when you have something so traumatic happen like a death and you're grieving, you just get clarity about what's important. And that's one of, I, I, I suppose, the silver linings of grief. But, you know, on, on the other side of it, I feel like you develop this sense of paranoia where you wonder about the health of your other parent. You wonder about the health of your sibling. You wonder about the health of yourself. And I think, you know, that that can really play a role in, in how you approach the world. You approach the world with a little bit more caution and a little bit more awareness of how precious this one life really is. Thank you for sharing that and getting yeah, into course. that. This is going to be a hard left. <laughs> <laughs> but let's do the quick fire question. Let's do it. Okay, some of these are longer, but just kind of say the first thing that comes to your mind. I'll warm you up with some easy ones. Okay. Again, hard left. I feel like I needed to take a moment because no, that was such to, a beautiful... It's good to talk about something light. Okay. Yeah. All right. What is the best thing you've eaten in the last week? Ooh, the butternut squash out of the foragers deli case. <laughs> Yum. I love it there. Favorite natural beauty product being beauty editor at Mind Body Green. Mm. Can I say a scent? Yeah. My current favorite scent is this. I have to look at it for reference. PF Candle Co. Number 32 Sandalwood Rose. Ooh, I'm excited to smell that when we're done. 
Working at Mind Body Green, what are some wellness trends that that you're seeing right now that you're excited about? Wellness trends. I think natural beauty is about to go the way that food went. I think beauty is having a huge, and I'm I'm a little biased because I'm the beauty editor, but I think it's having a huge moment. I think that bigger brands are starting to notice that consumers are demanding cleaner products and products that are healthier for us and healthier for the planet. And um, I see that as a huge major trend. Another trend I would say is Katona yoga. So Katona yoga is a type of yoga, much like, you know, if you're looking at eight limbs of yoga, yeah, Kundalini, Ashtanga, that type of thing. And it's, it's where the teachers go to practice, which is really interesting. So, you know, at Sky Tang and at a studio called The Studio and many prominent studios throughout the city, a lot of times the teachers will go and take classes that are Katona yoga classes. And I think that it's starting to inform yoga culture at a larger scale than it has in the past. So I think that's a trend. What is your yoga practice now and when you took yoga teacher training is teaching something that you did or will do want to do teaching one-on-ones is something that i did do for a little bit i taught a couple of classes at my friend meredith's office but i have yet to get up in front of a room and lead a class that was at a yoga studio outside of what we did in teacher Mm -hmm. training it honestly scares the living shit out of me. Um, and I'm also a forgetful person. So I can ad lib and and be fine. But if I have a sequence that I need to remember. Totally. The right and left always, always got <sighs> same, me. Same. Same. To this day, yeah. I've never been good at right and left. So I need to practice. That's my answer with that. My yoga practice right now is very different. It is restorative. Every night I do about 10 or 15 minutes of restorative, almost restorative stretching and some meditation. And that's about it because that's what my body can handle. That's great that you're listening to that. Speaking of bodies, we always talk about body image on this podcast. So the way I usually frame the question is if you're having a bad body image moment, how do you get out of that and change it so it doesn't become a bad body image week or month? How do you shift? Yeah. Good question. I think I try to ask why. If I'm feeling bad because I'm comparing myself to someone else, then I try to do something to feel better about myself, whether that's get a massage or pick up something that makes me feel really good in terms of, you know, clothing or shoes or something like that. If it's because I'm just feeling bad in my own body for whatever reason, comparing my body to the way it was before, or not being happy with where I am now. Lately, I'm grateful to have a body that works. But I think even now, you know, when I'm experiencing symptoms, I've shifted more away from body image and more about body ability and capability and whether it's allowing me to do the things that I want to do. And lately it hasn't. So I've been really frustrated. It's very frustrating. So I just try to remind myself that it's a blip in time. You know, a few months out of your life is not 
that long. You've been alive for 31 years and it is something that can change. Yeah. Our bodies adapt. That's it. Much like you were saying with grief, it's a silver lining of everything you've been going through. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of the present, what have you been learning, contemplating, realizing lately, like today or in the past week or month? What's been on your mind? I am always fascinated by people who become very specialized in something versus somebody who is more of a generalist and does a lot of different things. And that's something I'm always thinking about. I don't think I articulated that well, but I think no, you know you somebody did. who commits their whole life to studying, you know, marine biology, I find that to be fascinating. And I always want to know why people are driven to commit their one and only life to one cause. So I, I think I'm contemplating mission and I'm contemplating commitment. And I'm contemplating the role of, of having a personal practice and ritual within it all. That's great. For the past like two years on the pod, I've like stopped asking this, but I was talking about feeling like a master of none and basically getting these conversations are such a mirror to or such a picture of where I was at the moment. You know, I've recorded them since 2013. So I think all of 2016 was me being like, I feel like a master of none. What's your advice on that? Or if I'm, if I'm having a body image thing, it's all about body image or there's such a connection of where I am. And for so long, I was constantly talking about feeling like a master of none. And what I just really, after talking to so many people about that, I stopped asking because I just decided like maybe that's not my personality. And someone said, Josh Radner said on the podcast that his therapist told him that it's a sign of a highly creative personality if you can't focus on one thing and you do lots of little things. So that was a helpful reframe. But I still admire people who have the commitment and the focus of focusing on one thing and getting really good at it. And I, I admire that because I think it's not me, you know? And I, I guess, I don't know. I'm, I'm and contemplating here you that are too. Four years later, with a podcast that is aired every almost Six every years. week. 2013. Six years. 2013. Crazy. So you're a master of podcasts. Well, I don't think I'm a master of podcasts. I think I'm just consistent. I don't know. I think consistency is some, that's something I think about a lot, a ton. And I think that it's underrated. Yeah. I don't know. This is another interesting thing to talk about. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of consistency, you are a writer in, in so many different ways. You wrote this beautiful book and at your, at your job and you studied journalism. What are some of your greatest lessons on writing and any routines or habits you might have with writing? So lately I've been picking up morning pages again, which is really good. And I've, I've always had a journal since I can remember. Oh, cool. I have a bucket of them in my bedroom now and I have drawers of them at home. Did you ever watch that movie, Harriet the Spy? No. When you were younger? Mm. So it was this movie, I think, that was produced by Nickelodeon about a girl who wrote down everything that she saw and her feelings in a notebook. And not all of them were, were good. And her classmates find it and then read the notebook out loud. And she's kind of ostracized from all of these friend groups and cliques that have formed... Yeah, it's like a kid's, I mean, it's definitely a kid's movie, 
but it was really popular when I was young. And I remember seeing that and thinking, I want to have a notebook too. And so I'd I'm glad always it didn't had, go the other way and scare you from I know, writing. I know. Well, I got, I think I got a few diaries that had locks on them, maybe for that reason. But, you know, and since then I've, I've had a journal in some form or another. So, I mean, there's something that happens alchemically, alchemically with writing for me. It's the way I process. Same. I don't know what I'm thinking unless I'm writing. Yes. It's hard. It's even hard for me to do things like this podcast because for me, I, I so prefer to process with my hand, longhand writing. So, you know, that journaling is really important to me and some regularity and morning pages I'm doing. I, you know, I write for my job. So I, I do do a fair amount of writing and I do think there is such a thing as writing burnout. But I think that when it comes to writing, the best way to get better at it is one, to be consistent, but two, to work with someone that you think you respect their writing style or you respect their position, whether they're, you know, your deputy editor. I have a phenomenal deputy editor at work who has been helping me with my writing and just to write something and to have somebody give very good feedback and to process that feedback can be, you know, a humbling experience. But if you're getting the same feedback over and over again, you sort of make a mental note, oh, I need to do this when I'm writing moving mm -hmm. forward. And writing for, you know, a website as, as an editor and an expert is, is very different from personal, personal writing. Yeah. Different skills. That, that's great. That's really cool. You also obviously have the podcast and you interview people for both writing and on the podcast. What is your greatest lesson on interviewing and asking questions and conversation? Do you ever get nervous? Yeah, sometimes. I tend to get nervous more so speaking in large groups versus one-on-ones. One-on-ones, I feel pretty comfortable, especially if I'm the interviewer. I think the biggest thing is to ask open-ended questions and to ask people questions that they you know they're not just yes or no, but questions that really lend themselves to a story and a stepping stone to the next thing. Journalism 101. Yeah. But so important and so good. Yeah. And I, I don't necessarily think it's intuitive. And I think it's really good to have a list of questions before you go in to interview somebody. But I think it's also really important to go with the flow. So as you're asking questions, you might come, you know, you, you kind of have to be present. And mm -hmm. I think that you have to steer the conversation sometimes away from the questions that you had had previously scripted because the conversation would organically flow somewhere else better. And, and it's okay to do that. Yeah. This is becoming kind of meta, but I, I love doing this because it forces me to be present. Like I'm not on my phone. I can't be thinking about what I'm going to do later, what happened earlier, because then I lose the thread or I stop listening or I say something that doesn't make sense to the conversation. And that's my responsibility, you know, holding the space is to keep us here. And it's such an act of mindfulness. Speaking of mindfulness, God, spirituality, what happens when we die? What are your thoughts on all of that? God is an interesting one. 
I was raised Catholic. Same. Catholic <laughs> school, all of it. Yeah. So my idea of God for a really long time was the image of Jesus Christ, like somebody with, you know, a beard and long brown hair and nailed to a cross. And that was God. I know. I'm making a face. (laughs) The Catholic Church, there's a lot that I take issue with. And there's a lot that's beautiful. And I think that growing up, I wanted to be good. So I would pray a decade of the rosary every night. Yeah. And I would... A couple active contritions in there and a... Active contritions, Hail going Mary. to confession. Yep. You know, I, I did that a couple times, not that many, probably yeah. more. It's scary. It is scary. Yeah. yeah it's scary. And but I like the aspect of not doing it face to face. I know, because you don't feel as shameful. Totally. And I've taken that into my life of like when I have to do these conversations over the phone, I actually think it can be cozier and people can be more vulnerable because they're not, we're not having to like look each other in the eye, you know? It's true. Like confession. And so when I met Aaron, who is Jewish, I really had no clue what Judaism was about. And thankfully he likes talking and he likes teaching people things because he taught me all about it. And I remember one time he was telling me that in Judaism, you don't write out the word God you have to somehow, like, he would always put G-D, and that's how he writes God. Like, he will never write out the full word because God can never be reduced to a word. God is everywhere. And so I was like, what do you mean by that? Like, I really don't get that. Like, he's like, well, you know, and he was explaining how Judaism is different from Catholicism and all that goes with that. And, you know, he was explaining that, God for him was not a person. It was in everything and included everything. And I said, that's dope. This is a version of God I can get down with. And so I think, you know, that was sort of early on in my spiritual growth. But now I think of God and I think of nature. I think of God and I think of grandmothers and the grandmother that birthed us all. And I think of, I think of spirits who are around us. I think of everything. I do believe there, I I don't believe in maybe one sort of wizard of Oz behind the curtain God that's making everything happen. But I do believe there is something. Yeah. I love that. And I love that, that, that he taught you that. And that, that feels really cozy to me. Okay. Couple more. You've lived in New York for a long time. Greatest lesson on New York, favorite, least favorite moments, anything? Oh, man. You really want to know my least favorite moment? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, favorite. Or greatest thoughts. Just any quick New York thoughts. I mean, New York is great. I think also it can wear you down. Yeah. But living here now for 13 years, I can say that it is more of a neighborhood than people make it out to be. I often will run into people that I know in the street. And so magical. I love it. It is so magical when that happens. I love it. There is so much this week, even. Yeah. There's there's a magic. There is a magic about New York. There's an energy about New York. I also think if you live here, it's really important to get out. (laughs) It's really important to be in nature. It's really important to take a break. 
if you want to keep the connection with the city alive. And I also think that there's a time and a place for New York. And I, I think that sometimes like my body right now is like, get me the fuck out. So I, I'm kind of in a weird spot. I've always loved the city and what it has to offer me and what it has brought me. But at the same time, I'm really craving some nature and a slower pace. Yeah. I hear you. I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Second to last thing. This is really just a way of recommending things that you're into, but I call this the desert island question. So you're bringing to a desert island your favorite book, music, movie, TV show, podcast, food, person, beauty item, and basically anything that you want to recommend. These can be all-time favorites or they can be you know, things you're into at the moment and anything you want to share, basically. Hmm. A book that I come back to time and time again is called On Writing Well by William Zinser. I recommend it to anybody who wants to improve their writing. I also see it as sort of a way of life and it's really beautiful. So I would, I think I would recommend that book. I'm not a huge fiction person. I read a lot of nonfiction podcast. It's interesting. I don't really listen to other podcasts when I'm in production on my own because I don't want to be influenced by so smart anybody. So I don't have a good answer for you. What are the other ones? Song? Yeah. Song, music that you've been listening to, movie, TV show, book, outfit, whatever, really whatever you want to share. I saw a TV show last night that I loved. It was called magic for humans and it's on netflix and aaron and i watched it and it's this guy totally blanking on his name he's a magician and he talks the narrative thread throughout the episode is about being a what it means to be a human and self-control through the lens of magic cool and so it's a lot of these immediately yeah a lot of the magic tricks you see are sort of experiments in in humanity and how people work and what he's learned from all of it very cool i also like the good place what's that on again i haven't watched it i think it's netflix i love crashing oh yeah i love stand-up comedy yeah pete holmes yeah pete holmes did my um did my podcast he's they're friends of mine Really? Yeah. I Wait, went to their wedding. <laughs> you went to Pete Holmes's wedding? Yeah. Yeah. Stop. Like, it was a year ago in October. Yeah. That's so cool. We'll talk about it. Fantastic Mr. Fox themed. And <laughs> Val's going to have a baby like any second. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, we love, I love Pete Holmes. Yeah. Aaron so. introduced me to that show. John Mulaney, like, oh, there's another one. His name is Ryan Hamilton mm-hmm. and his comedy show is called Happy Face, I think. Something like that. Hilarious. I think it is so important in this, if you're in this wellness world, it can get really serious really quickly. And so for me, it's important to have something that's a little bit light and something that's funny. Totally. And that's that's the best medicine, right? Mm-hmm. Like- <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, beauty product right now for skincare. I've been loving, I have two serums that I've been loving, which sounds so trivial in comparison to everything else that we've talked about today. But there's a serum by Junk Elephant that's their glycolic serum. And I love it. I put it on almost every night. And there's a serum by a brand. 
a dermatologist whose namesake brand is Dr. Barbara Sturm and it is their anti-aging serum. And I honestly don't know if it's anti-aging, but it just makes my skin look very beautiful skin. Oh, you're sweet. It just makes it feel even, even textured. Oh, yeah. Well, it's working. Whatever oh, you're doing. You're sweet. It's all working. Thanks. This has been a delight. I could talk to you forever, but I have to go. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. No, thanks for having me. Is there anything that you wish that you'd have gotten to talk about that you never get asked that you wanted to talk about that you wanted to let out? No, I just think everybody should be kind. Mm. Be as kind as you can because you never know what anybody's going through. Yeah. I think that's always on my mind. Yeah, I love that. It's beautiful. Okay, so we end with a taking a deep breath together. We let it out. So we'll inhale, let it out. <sighs> Feels better, right? Yeah, it's so yeah. good. And everyone listening does it together. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. All right, you guys. You heard my episode with Lindsay. Isn't she a delight? That was a long one. So I'm going to keep these likes and learn short this week, but I like this new segment. I think we've got a good thing going here. I haven't even done it yet, but you know, I'm a little sleepy. I'm about to crawl into my Altera Pure Sheets. <laughs> Don't worry, it's not another ad, but anyway, okay, here's the thing. I really do love them, but that's neither here nor there. What I'm really liking this week is a person, Busy Phillips. This is, uh, if you've been living under a rock, um, that would be the only way you don't know about her this week. Her book is coming out. She's been on every single podcast, it feels like, in my world. And I love her so much. I've been following her on Instagram for a while. And she's so authentic and real and vulnerable. And I, I just think she seems like a really wonderful person. And she has a book coming out this week that I'm excited to read. Maybe you've already been reading. I would love to know your thoughts. And she has a TV show coming out this week as well. I, if you're listening to this, the day it comes out. I think the book came out last week, TV show maybe this week. Anyway, I'm excited to check it out. That's what I'm going to be doing. And then as far as something I've been learning, this is just a quick thing. You know, I always talk about how I have trouble feeling my feelings and... I cry at certain things, but other things I don't. Like, I don't cry at movies, ever. I cry when I'm scared a lot. But I cried, I woke up crying from a dream the other night. And this is horrible, but I, I had a dream that my grandfather died. He's not doing very well. Um, he's, he's really old. So anyway, he's going to pass away eventually, like all of us. But I had a dream that he died and he hasn't yet. Um, and I woke up crying, like bawling. And so it got me thinking, like we can feel feelings in our dreams. I can be in touch with my emotions in my dreams. I can be in my body in my dreams. Can I do that more in life? And I don't know. I don't even know if this makes sense, but that was something I was learning about myself this week. I promise the learns are gonna be better next week. I even have a couple more that I think are better right now, but I'll just leave you with that and you're going to have to trust me. Hopefully you learned something from this episode. Also, you know, just to make up for that learn being a little bit weird and inarticulate and probably doesn't make sense at all, I'll give you another like and that is persimmons. If you have not tried the fall orange fruit 
the texture of a tomato, but the sweetness of a mango, do yourself a favor and get to your local market and buy yourself a persimmon. Slap a little cinnamon and sea salt on it, maybe a little lemon juice if you're really feeling fancy. You're welcome. It's a delight. I had mine with almond butter this morning and I was so excited to see them at my local health food store, Commodities Market, right in my neighborhood. And I'd been honestly checking there all week to see if they had them and they hadn't and they finally did. It was wonderful such a treat. I love eating seasonally. That's a lie. I eat kiwis and green apples year round and squash and sweet potatoes. So that's just a straight up lie. I I don't really eat seasonally except for persimmons simply because I can't find them other than in the fall, which is nice in a way. It makes me look forward to them much more. Do you eat seasonally? Let me know. I'm going to go get into my Altera Pure Sheets because I'm very sleepy, but I love you so much. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you next week. And I'm back. Quickly, if you're still listening right now, that's a miracle, but the emoji. But first, I'm going to sneak in one more. uh, If you do want to start a podcast, (laughs) it's the last week to sign up. You're not going to have to hear about this for a while, maybe ever. Just... If you want to do it, you can get the first modules for free. But the emoji, honestly, is the evergreen tree. It reminds me of her amazing book, Lindsay's amazing book, Spirit Almanac. So the evergreen tree, not the Christmas tree, but like the evergreen tree without ornaments is the emoji. Tweet that at Lindsay. Tweet it at me. I love you. I'm so sorry this episode was so long. I'm not sorry. I'm, I'm trying to say sorry less, too. So... Letting it out. Okay, goodbye.